0: to the reunion church podcast we're a community following jesus seeking the good of our city we hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging if we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com okay and now i'm going to read uh the text for today's teaching it comes from james one two through eight got it up there nice Uh, So I'll read this, and then I think Russell will come up here. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect. You may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is the word of the Lord. If you want a beautiful story, then your story is going to need some conflict. Bad news, right? If our lives are a story then, to live a beautiful story, you're gonna need some conflict. But I don't want any of that in my life, all right? That's for you, that's not for me, okay? I want a comfortable life. I want an easy life, is there anybody with me so far? Very good, all right? It's sort of like this, imagine going to a movie with no conflict in it, you know? Going to the theater, paying $34 or whatever it is these days, and imagine the movie comes on, right? and it's this perfect couple. They go to work, they smile a lot, they make some money, and on their way home, they pop by Trader Joe's. There's no line in this movie, I don't know why. They make dinner, watch some Netflix, they talk a bit, they go to bed, and the movie ends. No conflict and no problems. Do you wanna watch this movie? No, you do not wanna watch this movie, but you do want to live that life, right? You don't want to watch the movie, but you do want to live the life, right? Nobody wants to watch Batman with no Joker, right? You don't do Stranger Things without the Upside Down and the Demogorgon, right? You don't do Encanto without generational trauma. Like the story just doesn't work, okay? (laughs) But largely, it's the life we desire, a comfortable and easy life. I want a pain-free life. I don't want any conflict, right? I want to get on the train no issues, clean smell. I want it to smell like sandalwood on the train. Wouldn't that be perfect? Sandalwood, easy life, nobody throwing anything at me. I want friendships and the relationship with my wife to just be conflict-free. Let's just agree. Like, just an easy life. Let's just agree on everything. I want to wake up and it feel like I just worked out, but I never did, right? That's the easy life that I want. At the end of my life, I want to die old and warm in my bed anybody else? This is the life we desire, right? That is not the life that we live, and it is not the life described in the scriptures. Um, And I think I really appreciate um, reading my Bible this week, um, the realities that are placed in front of us in the scriptures. We don't get teachings on how to live an easy or a comfortable life, but we're being told what it looks like to To go through life's um, tensions and and trials and conflicts, and how to do that faithfully. And so that's what I wanna talk about today. How do we, what we'll describe as journeying through the wall? How do we journey through the wall faithfully through these tensions, trials, and conflicts. Um, if you're just joining us, we've been going through a series on emotional and spiritual health. What is the integration or the intersection of our emotional and our spiritual health? And here's how um, Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, describes walls. Um, it'll be up on the screen here. It's, I'll start reading it, and then you can catch up. There it is. For most of us, the wall appears through a crisis that turns our world upside down. It comes perhaps through a divorce, a job loss, The death of a close friend or um, family member, a cancer diagnosis, a disillusioning church experience, a betrayal, a shattered dream, a wayward child, a car accident, an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to marry that remains unfulfilled, a dryness or a loss of joy in our relationship with God. Let me just like pause right there, that's, um, I recognize that in like a room like this, It's not just a list, but it's a reality for many of us, like these things. But then look what he goes on to say what happens. He says, we question ourselves, God, the church. We discover for the first time that our faith does not appear to work. We have more questions than answers, as the very foundation of our faith feels like it's on the line. We don't know where God is, what he's doing, where he's going, how he's getting us there, or when this will be over. And when we come to the Bible we f- we meet the same reality we see the realistic nature of the world and we bring those honest yearnings to god and, and and maybe you've thought that before in your life like how do i experience the lows of this life the breakup the weight of the work the season of depression i am these walls or these barriers i face in my life how do i f- how do i reconcile this with um, the good god that i always hear about how do i reconcile these two things or maybe you'd come this morning and you'd say you know what i just feel stuck. I just feel stuck. Like, I'm not progressing. I'm not going anywhere. My, my spiritual life just sort of feels stagnant or dry or boring. And then our scripture for today that Garrett read, it sort of just punches us in the face. James chapter 1, verses 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds. Like, doesn't the Bible just seem sort of unempathetic or like brash sometimes? Like, Let's just get to the end part of the verse, but let's skip the first part, right? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. I don't want to be steadfast. I wanna be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing, right? Like imagine um, a friend coming to you, a coworker or a classmate coming to you, and just saying, Hey, how was your weekend? How are you? And you say, I'm perfect, I'm complete, and I'm lacking in nothing. Like, this is the dream answer, right? I want the end goal, but I don't want the middle part. But what I want to do today, and I I don't want to run over your experience, what you've been through. That's not my goal, and I want to kind of tread carefully on some of that. But I want to dig in to look at that middle part. What does steadfastness have to teach us? How could steadfastness, endurance, stickability, how could that middle, middle place grow us? How could it mature us. How could we realize God's presence in the middle of that? You may not actually know this, but um, James, the author of the book of James, this epistle or this letter to Christians that have been scattered all throughout the ancient world, is Jesus's little brother. And um, he writes a very practical letter. And so if you're like, I love no details, I want the answer, and I like a, di- a didactic um, reading, James may be for you, okay? just He's addressing wealth and wisdom and facing trials, and he does it in five chapters, all right? So it's like perfect. Garrett, is there six? Is there six in James, or is there five? Somebody let me know when you got it. I, J- Garrett's got it. I got it. Um, but you may be looking at this verse already and thinking, joy and trials are not friends. And I just want you to kind of hold that intention. You got it, guys? They're looking. All right, just shout out whenever you got it, all right? Five. All right, okay, I got it. Very good. So before we get to the, the tension of that, I want us to recognize something here in verse four. It says this. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Let steadfastness have its full effect, meaning it's a process. We're talking about maybe a length of time, this ability to stick with it. Um, And I think one of the things that I realized when I was prepping this week is that um, we are all collectively on a journey, right? And we're in different places in that journey. And some of us, we would say, you know what, I've actually been more steadfast than somebody else. Or, you know, I actually feel like I don't have a lot of patience in a season of waiting or going through trials. But what I want us to realize is that Um, maturity both spiritual and emotional is a journey rather than a destination right we think that the the journey of faith is like a threshold that we cross over and we're like i'm there but rather what we find in the scriptures is when you and i are looking for an end goal it's really about the journey we think it's about the destination but it's actually about the path along the way that's why when we read the bible we're not reading a textbook We're not getting a legal document or a list of rules. We're not getting a how to guide what we're getting are stories, right? You think about cover to cover, the the Bible is chock full of journeys. Abraham in Genesis, you're going to be the father of many nations. God God says, go into the land, I will show you. I'm over here like details if I'm going out into the land, all right? I'm not going to survive out there. And God's like, go and I'll show you. What does Abraham do? He goes on a journey. The Exodus What was it? Liberation of Israelite people from slavery. Exodus from Egypt. A journey to Mount Sinai. The exile. Jeremiah. The book of Daniel. um, Faithful people living in exile in Babylon. In pagan Babylon, for that matter. It's a journey. Jesus in the gospels traveling, traveling around ancient Israel, preaching, talking to people, healing people, talking about the kingdom of God a journey. Paul's missionary journeys in the books of, a book of Acts, traveling all throughout the Mediterranean world, starting new churches, establishing leaders in these churches, moving to the next one. It's a journey. And the spiritual life is a journey. And maybe you'd say, well, why, why is that helpful? Well, I, th- I think if you think a little bit bigger picture, what you'd find is if you're on a journey, then you can honor your own progress and you can be a little kinder to yourself. So, journey as a helpful metaphor. We think about it, um, maybe this, and I'm going to jam through this here. But think about it as a a process over an arrival, right? We get so prone to focusing on a destination, ticking the boxes. I did the right things. I'm good. But if faith is a journey, then we can actually honor progress both in ourselves, but we can actually honor progress in other people. I have a friend. um, He's a pastor up in Harlem, and he he says to me. we, we talk about children a lot and, like, raising kids in the city. And one of the things that he says is, like, Russell, be kind to your children. They're, they're, um, they're being people for the first time, right? They're they're, on, they're they're progressing. And then he says, and for that matter, um, you're progressing. I was like, Lester, I, I've been following Jesus for, like, 20 years. He's like, yeah, and you still stink at it, you know? And so we need to honor that it's a process and that we're on um, the journey. I know that for some of us, we actually... Um, most of us, in in fact, I would say, are prone to liking little hits, little religious highs that we can get on, right? Like, I just, I left there, and it felt so good. I feel so filled up, and I don't think anything's wrong with that necessarily, but we don't have a lot of enthusiasm for the building of slow virtue over time, where God is forming us in seasons. I, I think about it a lot, like, you can't do a lot in a week, but you can do a lot in a year, Right? You can't do a lot in a month, but you can accomplish a lot in five years. And so we focus on the journey over arrival. Uh, Secondly, journey suggests changes, transitions, and challenges. But I want the easy life, right? Journey suggests roadblocks. Roadblocks. We went hiking yesterday, took a few wrong turns. Like, you know, it's fine. We got off the trail a little bit, but luckily these two right here. Alejandro and Will were with us, and they're like, there's no markers on this trail. I'm like, we're the markers, you know? <laughs> um, what is it? It's, it changes transitions and challenges, and you know, maybe I just add a word there, adventure. Like, the, 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 the life that we lead of following Jesus comes with changes, transitions, but it also is a joy, Right? We prefer the comfort and the stability, but there's actually so much joy to have along the way. And what we might realize in the midst of that is um, God is there. Like God is in the challenge. God is in the wrong turn. God is with us there and he can guide us back. And then lastly, journeys are done together. We need company. We need travel companions. We need other people to help us lighten the load. And we're, we're far too prone to thinking about the spiritual life, like right here, it's me and God, me and God, me and God. And it's like, it's not just that. It's actually us and God, and God is in the midst in a journey. And then look at this in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 9. Um, Saul becomes Paul right after this in Acts 9, but it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, listen to this, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. I love that. Early followers of Jesus called followers of the way, adding to the idea that we're on a journey. And the beauty of that and understanding that is that every single one of us is on a different part of that journey. Some of us would just say, Guy, I am just here and I'm open and I'm curious. And that's it, my friend. All right? I'm probably going to leave here in a second and I'm, I'm, that's it. I'll just say, I'm glad you're here. That's a a step in the journey. For some of us, we'd say, you know what? Um, I'm not sure where I'm at right now. I'm trying to figure some things out, but one thing I know is that this is helpful. Like just even thinking um, is helpful. Going slow, slowing down on a Sunday morning, skipping brunch and just coming here to just be present is helpful for me. Some of us would say, Jesus is actually new to me and I have a lot of questions and I'm looking to get those questions answered. I would say membership class is next Sunday, all right? And we'd love to have you. For some of us, we've been saying, you know, I've been following Jesus for a long time. I actually do feel stuck, or I'm looking for greater clarity. I'm looking for more insight, or I want to go deeper. We're all in different places. And what authors, um, um, scholars and different authors, specifically Catholic authors, have actually attempted to do o- over the, um, the last thousand years, really, have they tried to capture themes in the spiritual journey. What are common themes that people face in their following of Jesus. And the one that's mentioned in our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book is The Critical Journey um, by Janet um, Hagberg and Robert Gulick. And uh, this is a great book. If you're curious about sort of taking a step, wow, guys, <laughs> I made the slide. I made the slide. You can go back. This is, this is on me right here. It's fine. Um, you can leave it up for a second and I'll kind of walk us through um, part of it. You guys, what if it just starts to get, like, clearer as I'm going? That would have been amazing. That that would have been an amazing step. All right, so on the top here, it says the critical journey by the authors, Um, and then it says, I have it right here, it says stages in the journey of faith, and the top one there is stage one, and stage one is a recognition of God. Maybe this happened to you um, when you were a child. Um, Maybe it happened to you when you were a teenager or even as an adult, and really what it is is it's a time of discovering and accepting the reality of God's presence in our lives. It's sort of a time marked by innocence and awe. I remember when I first became a Christian, um, I had this really big Bible in this big journal. Study notes were in there, and just like page one, right? Highlighter, pen, different colors, and um, why are you laughing at me? (laughs) And so I would write all over this thing, and I, I, I was journaling. I was like, um, I have prayer journal, and I was like devoted. Early morning prayer, Bible reading, I was like, this is real. God makes sense. I believe. It felt so tangible. Um, Frederick Buechner um, writes in one of his books, I think it's called his book is called Now and Then. He says, um, when I first became a Christian, it felt like I won the lottery. And I was like, yes, that, that captures so well how I felt at 12 years old. like. This is working for me. I believe in this. And we take a step in that um, journey. If we could maybe capture that first part in a phrase, it would just be, I believe. And then that second part that you can't read is a life of discipleship. This stage is a time of growing and learning and belonging. And um, we're like apprentices, like sponges, just taking in information, trying to apply it. Oftentimes, we're trying to spend time in this stage of people on a similar journey Um, as us, and we're actually getting more competent, right? We're saying, like, I'm sure of what I, I believe, I'm sure of what I know, and there's a bit of security there. And if I could capture stage two in a phrase, it would be, I'm learning about God, right? I'm learning about God. Stage three there is the productive life, right? This is the active stage. You've said, I'm understanding it, I'm getting the information, and I have to begin to replicate it, right? I've taken it in, and now I need to push it out. This person is probably becoming aware of some of their unique giftings, looking to be active in evangelism or serving, but we're getting a sense of um, value from our productivity, right? Like, I get to be a part of this, and I'm pushing it out. And then stage four, and then right here, what you're going to notice is the journey, stage four is the journey inward, and this um, line, it says wall. This is a wall that we face. And then this is the journey outward. And then this is a life of love. And so between stage four and stage five, what the authors have done is suppose that we face walls or face barriers in our spiritual life. But we journey inward first. What does that mean? And really the wall comes in between that stage. I would say that the journey inward is where you've been following Jesus, you're taking in the information, you're trying to apply it in a productive way, and you just kind of feel like, Okay, is there more? What's my next step? How do I grow? How do I progress? Is there a a new level of leadership that I need to take on? Is there something more that I need to do? And the answer is yes, but what largely we need to do there is take what we've been doing and let it touch the deeper parts of who we are our emotional life, our family of origin. It's got to go into the deeper parts, and the problem with the journey inward is before when you had certainty and security, this is uncomfortable. The wall is uncomfortable, and yet our desire remains. I'm trying to know God, and yet there seems to be something blocking me. If I had to capture stage four in a phrase, it would be this. I need to figure out a new way to do my relationship with God. And this is where it gets hard. The wall is a place of discomfort. It's a, it's a place where the realities of life m- m- meet us. We, we no longer feel like we won the lottery anymore. We say this isn't quite working like it used to. It used to feel good to do this, but oftentimes it feels hard to do this. It could, be a, um, it could be triggered by one of those things that Pete talked about in the book. could be a, a sort of rock-bottom moment, or it could be what uh, James calls, I love it, he says, trials of various kinds. Uh, the word various in the Greek, uh, it means uh, many colors. He's literally saying, like, the stuff that life brings us. He's not really being descriptive in any way, right? When we lose a family member, when we go through a breakup, when we go through a divorce, when we lose a job, when we can 't get pregnant or we feel lonely, we wonder in these moments. This is what triggers the question: God, do you care? God, have you left me? Where are you? Why are you doing this? Is following you still even worth it? Things are just not working anymore there 's got to be more. right we hit, we hit that threshold you know over the last few months i 've been speaking with a handful of people in our inner our community and then outside of our community. Um, that have had a discouraging or a a disillusioning experience in or around a church. And I just want to take a moment to just acknowledge this for a second, because um, it does feel like a time of sort of upheaval in the church at large, and um, people are leaving churches and going to different churches and not going to church at all anymore. And I just want to say this specifically. If you're here this morning, and a church, a, a person in a church, a pastor someone in ministry, if they hurt you or ignored you or forgot about you, I'm sorry. I really am. And I, I, don't, I don't know the story. I'd love to hear it if you, if, if you want to share it. Or I'd even take this a little bit further. If someone hurt you in a church or abused you in a church, that's not okay. Well, let's just pause and say, that is not okay. And I don't want to brush over that. I want to be very real. This, a, a church community should be the place where we're the safest. And oftentimes, churches are not. A church should be a place where our questions, our doubts, and our wrestlings are actually most welcome, not pushed out because there might be a disagreement. We're here exploring on a spiritual journey who God is and who we believe Jesus to be, and we're trying to apply that as a community. And so I hope, I hope, I hope that that is never this church for you, and I hope that you know that we're open to talking um, about these things, but the church should be a place where we feel the least judged, for the questions that we have or the people um, that we are. And I I just wanted to pause and and say that. So what do we do here? What do we do with the wall? And I think James, I'll just kind of break down three things here that James, I think, really helps us do. Let me read this one more time. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given to him. So let me just say this quickly. I don't have time to um, break down like why bad things happen, Um, but I do want to say this. When it says trials of various kinds, and I said it's kind of a a, a catch-all, by and large, I think that suffering comes to us um, in, in four ways. The first is that suffering comes to us by our own wrongdoing right? So we make a mistake and we actually face the consequence uh, of our action and suffering comes our way. Um, And sometimes we should actually reflect, like, did I actually bring that on myself? Was that my fault? Number two, um, suffering can come to us as a result of other people's sin, right? Other people's stuff falls on us and it causes us suffering. Number three, I don't always love this, but I think there's biblical evidence for it, is that God could allow some suffering to come our way or testing to come our way. I think we see that modeled um, here in this passage. And then four, which we discount and don't talk about enough, but the Bible presents a spiritual battle that is at work, and suffering also can come our way um, through supernatural forces that um, we, by and large, don't understand. And so I just wanted to sort of present that to you because... I think it's easy in this moment to say, well, Russell, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's happened to me. And I'm saying, hey, you know what? I don't, that's real. And yet, could the trial, the hardship, the thing that you're face- facing actually be sort of a wall that needs to be deconstructed so that you can mature and grow through? And so, James tells us here that we can mature at the wall. And so he says that testing done with steadfastness can bring about a maturing in us. And so I just want to sort of present that question to you. What if the thing that you feel like you're stuck in or that's happened to you, whatever that trial or testing is, what if that is the thing that actually holds the potential to bring about maturation in your life? Like that's the thing that God actually wants you to face. And and hear me well, this is a radical way to live. This is a very, very radical way to live, right? What if what I'm experiencing right now has the ability to mature me? What if God didn't cause it, but God actually does or can redeem the thing that I went through? And God often chooses those areas of weakness and insecurity to actually, those avenues to actually mold us into the person he desires us to be. Paul writes in Romans 5... Uh, It's a similar verse, but it's a different pathway. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering gives way to endurance. Endurance produces character. And character gives hope. And hope does not put us to shame. So let me give you a picture of this. I remember a time in my own life. I was so stuck. Um, Katie and I had been married for uh, about a year. And like the honeymoon phase like just wore off like all of a sudden. And so end of year one, it was like we were fighting all the time about the simplest things, and then we would talk late into the night. And really what it was was, um, now I, and I know this, I didn't understand it at the time, but it was um, our ways of being from our family of origin were clashing. And um, and I'll speak, um, for me, I felt really confused. I felt really frustrated. I kept thinking to myself, I'm terrible at this husband thing. Like I'm really quick to anger. I'm not a good friend. I'm not understanding the priority list here. And then I just thought to myself, well, you know what? My parents divorced when I was seven. It just wasn't modeled for me. And so that was kind of my like, oh, I, it's, it's their fault, and I just have to live with it. And I felt really stuck. But after reflecting on this, um, it didn't have so much to do. It was manifesting between Katie and I, but it really had um, a lot to do with my own wrestlings, with my own childhood. And, and, and really, what it came to be was wrestling with God about who I was and I can't remember exactly I was trying to think on how I got to this whether it was like a mentor or a friend um, but what I did was sorry Josh I keep knocking all your stuff over um, what I did was um, I just carved out this space on Mondays Monday Mondays my day off I like I'll work out in the morning I'll grab some lunch I'll do some laundry then I'm gonna read books I'm gonna like figure this thing out I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna figure out what does it mean to be a man how do I be a husband? How can I mature? How can we move forward? And so that's what I did. I was like picking up all these books. And the books that I was grabbing were around um, male initiation rites. Because I, what I came to after a couple weeks on these Mondays was I re- was realizing I don't have a definition of a man. Like what, what is a man? When does a boy become a man? And I was like, I got I to figure this out. I have to learn. So I pick up all these books. I started reading, um, like, fascinating stuff. If you need recommendations, um, please come ask. Um, But I remember um, reading this one book, um, super cheesy cover. um, It's called The Heroic Path. And if you open my book, I was trying to find it this week, but if you open my book, it's, like, crusty. And it's crusty because I, like, wept over this book. I, like, cried into it and was, like, I just got to let this catch all my tears, I guess. And what I was doing was I was wrestling at the wall. I was, I was pushing forward at the wall. I was trying to break through the wall. And for me, what it was, it was mourning the distance that I had from my father as a kid. And it just took me so long to figure that out, you know, six, seven, eight weeks, Mondays, two, three hours of, of reading. But God used this deficiency that I had or this inadequacy that I felt to accomplish his will and his purpose in my life and in my marriage. And he has a way of taking our greatest fears and taking hold of them and saying, I want to teach you something through this. And God is redeeming those things. But I had to create time and space to heal. I didn't really know that I was doing what I was doing. I had to push into the discomfort. It felt terrible to admit any of those things. I wrote this this week. I'm like, I actually feel fine saying all that. But it's because I actually began to process and heal from those things. I had to believe that God was with me in that season and to accept that life really didn't go the way that it should have in some of those ways and to lament that and to be real about it. But see, the way of, the way of maturing is not trying to jump over the wall. It's not coming to the walls that we face in our life and turning around and saying, nope, I'm, I'm actually good, I'm not going to deal with that and go the other way. It's not by trying to fight or flight, right? But it's actually about standing in front, journeying through the wall, grabbing things brick by brick and saying, I'm gonna handle this. I'm gonna deal with this problem. I'm gonna pray through this problem. I'm gonna seek wisdom with this problem. And we're actually tearing the wall down so that God can do something about it. This is a pathway of maturing. And I just wanna say two more things here. When we come to the wall, we have to learn to pray. We have to learn to pray at the wall. I love that James says this in this verse he says if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him and then he begins to describe a sort of pathway for us trials and testing done in faith in prayer with wisdom what do they bring for us they bring about endurance and steadfastness and then he paints a picture of the other pathway trials and testing done in doubt bring greater instability to your life tossed by the chaos of the waves, and the word wisdom here is um, in the Greek is sophia. It's um, it's wisdom, insight, skill, or intelligence. What are we so longing for in moments where we feel stuck? Just give me the right information to figure this out. We're actually asking God a very practical thing. God, would you help me? Would you? I have this struggle. I have this fear. I have this anxiety. I'm going through this. Would you meet me there? And all prayer is, I I know we we struggle to pray, and it's probably the most important thing that we can talk about and the the most important thing that we can do. Prayer is becoming present to the presence of God in our life. Prayer is becoming present to the presence of God in our life. It's like um, to be distracted is to be thinking backwards and to be thinking forward. To be present is to know that God is right here, right now, and he's working in our midst. And then ultimately, this is what our prayers end up doing, is they help us submit at the wall, right? We have that tendency in the midst of crisis or tensions or trials um, to, like, jump over. Like, I got got this, right? Like, some of us in the room, we're like, I faced all that. Like, I'm good, Russell. I I faced the demons of my past. I, I got this. But the reality is, this is very, very, very hard work because we actually have to let go of control and we have to trust. God, I prayed, would you, would you help me? Would you be in my midst? I'm, I'm, I'm submitting to the process. What did I say before? I, I created time and space to heal. I pushed into the comfort, and I believe that God was with me, and he met me there. There's this amazing um, story about Um, post-impressionist painter uh, Henry Matisse and um, his mentor Auguste Renoir. um, My wife could probably, uh, will probably laugh at me with this story here, but the uh, Henry Matisse was this um, post-impressionist painter and is regarded as um, one of the most um, accomplished artists of the 20th century. Um, Here's a picture of him. I hope it's not blurry. There we go. I got this one. Um, After a bout with cancer, Henry Matisse was bedridden for three months. And so he would lie in this bed and he would um, take this stick um, and paint with uh, charcoal on the, uh, um, on the end of the, of the stick. And I read this article this week that he learned this endurance um, from his mentor, Renoir. And there's this whole article about how Renoir was actually confined to his home um, for about the last decade of his life. He actually had um, horrible arthritis. And so um, Matisse here... Um, He was 28 years younger than Renoir, but he would study under him. He would go to his house and study, and he would have this arthritis, and he would continue to to paint um, regardless of the pain. And one day, Matisse here went to Renoir and said, why do you continue to paint if it hurts so much? If you're in such agony, why do you continue to paint? And Renoir said back to him, he said, the pain passes, but the beauty remains. The pain passes, but the beauty remains. And I think that thinking about the, the wall, that the walls that we face, the journeys that we have to push through, I hope that's what we would remember, right? The, the, the circle continues. The pain of that moment might leave a scar. It might wound us. But the pain passes, and the beauty of us standing in front of our fears, the trials, the hardship of our life is that God is right there with us, and there's the beauty, that he's in our midst there. And so I'm just going to leave you with this one question, and we'll pray. A question to consider. Regardless, maybe you're like, nothing's even wrong in my life right now. This sounds really nice for someone else. Just a question for you to consider today. How might God be caring for you in your stage or season? How might God be caring for you in this stage or in this season? And maybe you just reflect on that this week. I realized God was with me. I, I the, the, the train smelled like sandalwood, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's, it's wonderful. How is God actively in your midst and caring for you? Let's pray. So God, I love you and I just want to, I just want to honor um, where we are right now, who we are, who you're making us, the things that you've brought us through in the past the things that you will bring us through in the future. But God, here in this present moment, to just be present with you, to know you, to know your love, to to rest easy in that, to know that you're good and you're you're holy and you're righteous and you're calling us toward these things. You're calling us to be a people um, who follow your son Jesus. And I pray that that would be the the rooting identity for us as we um, face this week. I pray that as we look at this passage, our hang-ups or our frustrations, uh, God, that you would meet us there in that place, that we would be a people of courage and trust, and that ultimately there would be an act of submission in that. And Father, I ask now that as we um, go into a time of communion, that it would be this deep reminder that when we don't deserve it, you love us and you died for us, and we can rest in that. And so, Father, um, we give you this time. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.